so I took the time to listen to the start of a couple of my episodes and I realized that I do this stupid thing where I'm like, okay, time to start. So I'm not going to do that. And I don't want myself to sound like that. <laughs> I hate the way I sound regardless. So that's okay. Um, I hope you didn't hear my knee just pop. But we're going to get into the muscular system. So there's three different subtypes, skeletal muscle, smooth muscle, and cardiac muscle. Each performs specific functions, and they share some similarities. All muscle is capable of contraction, which relies on calcium ions. All muscle is innervated, but the part of the nervous system that innervates muscle and the ability of the muscle to contract without nervous input varies from type to type. So skeletal muscle is responsible for voluntary movement, and it's innervated by the somatic nervous system. Due to the arrangement of actin and myosin into recruiting units called sarcomeres, it appears striped or strided when viewed microscopically. Skeletal muscle is multinucleated because it's formed as individual muscle cells fused into long rods during development. There are multiple different types of fibers within skeletal muscle, so red fibers are slow twitch fibers. They have high myoglobin content and primarily derive from their energy uh, aerobically. Myoglobin is an oxygen carrier that uses iron in a heme group to bind oxygen imparting a red color. Red fibers also contain many mitochondria to carry out oxidative phosphorylation. Then we have white fibers, which are fast twitch fibers. They contain much less myoglobin and there's uh, less iron and the color is lighter. And there's the two types of fibers can be mixed. Muscles that contract slowly but can sustain activity contain a predominance of red fibers and muscles that contract rapidly but fatigue quickly are mostly white fibers. Smooth muscle is responsible for involuntary action. So smooth muscle is controlled by the autonomic nervous system. It's found in the respiratory tree, digestive tract, bladder, uterus, blood vessel walls, and more. It has a single nucleus in the center of the cell. It contains actin and myosin, but the fibers are not as well organized, so you can't see the striations. And smooth muscle is capable of more sustained contractions, so a constant state of low-level contraction is called tonus, as seen in the blood vessels. It can actually contract without nervous system input in what is known as myogenic activity, so the muscle cells contract directly in response to stretch or other stimuli. Cardiac muscle has characteristics of both smooth and skeletal muscle types, so it's primarily uninucleated, but the cells may contain two nuclei, so like smooth muscle, cardiac muscle contraction is involuntary and innervated by the autonomic nervous system, and unlike smooth muscle, cardiac muscle appears trited like skeletal. One of the unique characteristics of cardiac muscle is how each cardiac myocyte communicates. So cardiac muscle cells are connected by intercalated discs, which contain many gap junctions. These gap junctions are connections between the cytoplasm of adjacent cells, allowing for the flow of ions directly between cells. This allows for rapid and coordinated depolarization of muscle cells and efficient contraction of cardiac muscle. Cardiac muscle cells are able to define and maintain their own rhythm, termed myogenic activity. Starting at the sinoatrial node, depolarization spreads using conduction pathways to the atrioventricular node, and from there the depolarization spreads to the bundle of His and its branches and then to the Purkinje fibers. The gap junctions allow for progressive depolarizations to spread via ion flow during uh, across the gap junctions between cells and the nervous and endocrine systems also play a role in the regulation of cardiac muscle contraction. The vagus nerve provides parasympathetic flow outflow to the heart and slows the heart rate. Norepinephrine from sympathetic neurons uh, or epinephrine from the adrenal medulla bind to the endogenic receptors in the heart, causing an increased heart rate and greater contractility. And one of the ways that epinephrine does this is by increasing intracellular calcium levels within cardiac myocytes. So ultimately, cardiac contraction, like all types of muscle, relies on calcium. So the sarcomere is the basic contractile unit of skeletal muscles. They're made of thick and thin filaments. The thick are organized bundles of myosin, whereas the thin filaments are made of actin along with two other proteins, so troponin and tropomyosin. 
These proteins help to regulate the interaction between the actin and myosin filaments, and another protein, titin, acts as a spring and anchors the actin and myosin filaments together, preventing excessive stretching of the muscle. Each sarcomere is divided into different lines, zones, and bands, so the Z lines define the boundaries of each sarcomere. The M line runs down the center of the sarcomere through the middle of the myosin filaments. The I band is the region containing exclusively thin filaments, whereas the H zone contains only thick filaments. The A band contains the thick filaments in their entirety, including any overlap with thin filaments. And during contraction, the H zone, I band, and the distance between Z lines and the distance between M lines all become smaller, whereas the A band size remains constant. Sarcomeres are attached end-to-end -to, -end to form myofibrils. Myofibrils are surrounded by a covering known as the sarcoplasmic reticulum, a modified endoplasmic reticulum that contains a high concentration of calcium ions. The sarcoplasm is a modified chitoplasm located just outside the sarcoplasmic reticulum, and the cell membrane of myocyte is known as the sarcolemma, which is capable of propagating an action potential and can distribute the action potential to all sarcomeres in a muscle using a system of transverse tubules or T-tubules that are oriented perpendicularly to the myofibrils. Each myocyte or muscle cell contains many myofibrils arranged in parallel and can also be called a muscle fiber. The nuclei are usually found at the periphery of the cell, and finally, many myocytes in parallel form a muscle. So, contraction starts at the neuromuscular junction, where the nervous system communicates with muscles via motor or efferent neurons. The signal travels down the neuron until it reaches the nerve terminal or synaptic bouton, where acetylcholine is released into the synapse. In the case of the neuromuscular junction, the nerve Terminal can also be called the motor and the plate. Acetylcholine binds to receptors of the sarcolemma, causing depolarization, and each nerve terminal controls a group of myocytes, and together the nerve terminal and its myocytes constitute a motor unit. Depolarization triggers an action potential which spreads down the sarcolemma to the T-tubules. The action potential travels down the T-tubules into the muscle tissue through the sarcoplasmic reticulum, and when the action potential reaches the sarcoplasmic reticulum, calcium is ultimately released, and the calcium ions bind to a regulatory subunit in troponin, triggering a change in the conformation of tropomyosin, to which troponin is bound, and this change exposes the myosin binding sites on the actin-thin filament. The free globular heads of the myosin molecules move toward and bind with the exposed sites on actin. The newly formed actin-myosin crossbridges then allow myosin to pull on actin, which draws the thin filaments toward the end line, resulting in the shortening of the sarcomere. Starting at the top of the diagram uh, that I'm looking at, but you are not, but you should, myosin-carrying hydrolyzed ATP, ADP and inorganic phosphate, is able to bind with the myosin binding site. The release of the inorganic phosphate and ADP in rapid succession provides the energy for the power stroke and results in sliding of the actin filament over the myosin filament. Then, ATP binds to the myosin head, releasing it from actin. This ATP is hydrolyzed to ADP and inorganic phosphate, which recocks the myosin head so that it's in position to initiate another crossbridge cycle. The repetitive binding and the releasing of myosin heads on actin filaments allows the thin filament to slide along the thick filament, causing sequential shortening of the sarcomere, which is known as the sliding filament muscle. Uh, acetylcholine is degraded in the synapse by the enzyme known as acetylcholine nesterase, which results in termination of the signal at the neuromuscular junction and allows the sarcolemma to repolarize. As the signal decays, uh, calcium, releases, calcium release ceases and the SR takes up calcium from the sarcoplasm. The SR tightly controls intracellular calcium concentration so that muscles are contracted only when necessary. ATP binds to the myosin heads, freeing them from actin, and once the myosin and actin disconnect, the sarcomere can return to its original width. And without calcium, the myosin binding sites are covered by tropomyosin and contraction is prevented. So muscle cells like neurons have an all or nothing response. Either they respond completely to a stimulus or not at all. So stimuli has to reach a, a threshold value. And the strength of a response from one muscle cell cannot be changed because the only options are all or nothing. So nerves control overall force for the number of motor units that they recruit to response. And maximal response occurs when all fibers within a muscle are stimulated to contract simultaneously. 
So a simple twitch is the response of a single muscle fiber to a brief stimulus at or above threshold. It consists of a latent period, contraction period, and relaxation period. The latent period is the time between reaching threshold and the onset of contraction, and it's during this time that the action potential spreads along the muscle and allows for calcium to be released from the sarcoplasmic reticulum. The muscle then contracts, and assuming calcium is cleared from the sarcoplasm, it then relaxes. If a muscle fiber is exposed to frequent and prolonged stimulation, it will have insufficient time to relax. The contractions will combine, become stronger and more prolonged, which is known as frequency summation. If the contractions become so frequent that the muscle is unable to relax at all, this is known as tetanus, and prolonged tetanus will result in muscle fatigue. And tetanus, um, oh, this is not like the disease from the metal, but yeah. Uh, so then we'll talk about uh, oxygen debt and muscle fatigue. So muscles need ATP to function. Slow twitch muscle fibers have high levels of mitochondria and they use oxidative phosphorylation to make ATP. But this means that high concentrations of oxygen are required to generate large amounts of ATP muscle cells need. There are two supplemental energy reserves in muscle. So creatine phosphate is created by transferring a phosphate group from ATP to creatine during times of rest. This reaction can then be reversed during muscle use to quickly generate ATP from ADP. Muscles also have myoglobin, which binds oxygen with high affinity, and so when uh, exercising muscles run out of oxygen, they use myoglobin reserves to keep aerobic metabolism going. Fast twitch uh, muscle fibers, which are white, uh, have fewer mitochondria and they rely on glycolysis and fermentation to make ATP, so when a person exercises, the heart rate and the respiratory rate increase in order to move more oxygen to actively respiring muscles, and the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve undergoes a right shift in the presence of increased carbon dioxide concentration, increased hydrogen ion concentration or decreased pH, and increased temperature. However, even with these adaptations, muscle use can quickly overwhelm the ability of the body to deliver oxygen. Then, even red muscle fibers must switch to anaerobic metabolism and produce lactic acid, at which point the muscle begins to fatigue. The difference between the amount of oxygen needed by the muscles and the actual amount present is called the oxygen debt. After the cessation of strenuous exercise, the body must metabolize all the lactic acid it has produced, and most lactic acid is converted back into pyruvate, which can enter the citric acid cycle, and this process requires oxygen, and the amount of oxygen required to recover from strenuous exercise is equal to the oxygen debt. Okay, so now skeletal system, and we are doing good on time, I think. So there's two types of skeletons, exoskeletons and endoskeletons. Exoskeletons encase whole organisms and are usually found in arthropods like crustaceans and insects and vertebrates have endoskeletons. They're internal, but they're not able to protect the soft tissue structures as well as exoskeletons. And exoskeletons must be shed and regrown to accommodate growth. Um, so endoskeletons are much better to accommodate to the growth of a larger organism. So the components of our skeletal system are divided into axial, axial and appendicular. So axial skeleton consists of the skull, vertebral column, ribcage, and hyoid bone, which is a small bone in the anterior neck used for swallowing. It provides the basic central framework for the body. And the appendicular skeleton consists of the bones of the limbs, so humerus, radius, ulna, carpals, metacarpals, phalanges, and the upper limb, and femur, tibia, and fibula, fibula, tarsals, metatarsals, and phalanges in the lower limb, the pectoral girdle, which is the scapula and clavicle, and the pelvis. So both skeleton types are covered by other structures, so muscle connected tissue and vasculature. And the skeleton is made from two major components, so bone and cartilage. So bone is a connective tissue derived from embryonic mesoderm. It's much harder than cartilage, but it's relatively lightweight. Uh, bone characteristic strength comes specifically from the compact bone. It lives up to its name, so it's both dense and strong. The other type of bone structure is spongy or cancellous bone. The lattice structure of spongy bone is visible under microscopy, and it has bunny, bony spicules or points known as trabeculae. The cavities between trabeculae are filled with bone marrow, which may be either red or yellow. 
Red marrow is filled with hematopoietic stem cells, which are responsible for the generation of all the cells in our blood, and red yellow marrow is composed primarily of fat and is relatively inactive. Bones in the appendicular skeleton are typically long bones, which are characterized by cylindrical shafts called diaphyses, diaphyses that swell at each end to form metaphyses that terminate in epiphyses. The outermost portions of bone are composed of compact bone, whereas the internal core is made of spongy bone. Uh, long bone diaphyses and metaphyses are full of bone marrow. The epiphyses, on the other hand, use their spongy cores for more effective dispersion of force and pressure at the joints. At the internal edge of the epiphysis is an epiphyseal growth plate, which is a cord, uh, cartilaginous structure and the site of longitudinal growth. And prior to adulthood, the epiphyseal plate is filled with mitotic cells that contribute to growth. And during puberty, these close and vertical growth is halted. And finally, a fibrous sheath called the periosteum surrounds the long bone to protect it, as well as a site as serve as a site for muscle attachment. So some periosteal cells are capable of differentiating into bone-forming cells, and a healthy periosteum is necessary for bone growth and repair. I'm so sorry. Uh, structures in the musculoskeletal system are held together with dense connective tissue, so tendons attach muscle to bone and ligaments hold bones together at joints. The strength of the compact bone comes from the bone matrix, which has both organic and inorganic components. The inorganic components include calcium, phosphate, and hydroxide ions, which harden together to form hydroxyapatite crystals. Minerals such as sodium, magnesium, and potassium are also stored in bone, and the organic components include collagen, glycoproteins, and other peptides. Strong bones require uniform distribution of organic and inorganic materials, so the bony matrix is ordered into structural units known as osteons or haversion systems. Each of these osteons contains concentric circles of bony matrix called lamellae surrounding a central microscopic channel. Longitudinal channels, those with an axis parallel to the bone, are known as haversion canals, while these transverse canals with an axis perpendicular to the bone are known as Volkmann's canals. These canals contain the blood vessels, nerve fibers, and lymph vessels that maintain the health of the bone, and between the lamellar rings are small spaces called lacunae, while, which house mature bone cells known as osteocytes. The lacunae are interconnected by tiny channels called canaliculi that allow for the exchange of, of nutrients and waste between osteocytes and the herversion and Volkmann's canals. Two cell types are largely responsible for building and maintaining strong bones, so osteoblasts and osteoclasts. Osteoblasts build bone where, um, as osteoclasts, polynucleated resident macrophages of bone resorb it, and these processes together contribute to the constant turnover of bone. So during bone formation, essential ingredients such as calcium and phosphate are obtained from the blood. During bone resorption, these ions are released back into the bloodstream. Bone remodeling occurs in response to stress, and bone actually remodels in such a way that is to accommodate the repetitive stresses faced by the body. Endocrine hormones may also affect bone metabolism, so parathyroid hormone, which is a peptide hormone released by the parathyroid glands in response to low blood calcium, promotes resorption of bone, increasing the concentration of calcium and phosphate in the blood. Vitamin D, which is activated by parathyroid hormone, also promotes the resorption of bone. Um, so the resorption of bone in response to vitamin D actually encourages the growth of new, stronger bone, thus overcompensating for the effect of resorbing bone in the first place. And then finally, calcitonin is a peptide hormone released by the parafollicular cells of the thyroid in response to high blood calcium, and it promotes the bone formation and lowering blood calcium levels. Cartilage is softer and more flexible than bone. It has a firm but elastic matrix called chondrin, which that is secreted by cells called chondrocytes. Fetal skeletons are mostly made up of cartilage. This is advantageous because fetuses must grow and develop in a confined environment and then must traverse the birth canal. Adults have cartilage only in body parts that need a little extra flexibility or cushioning. So extra external ear, nose walls of the larynx and trachea, inner vertebral discs and joints. And it also differs from bone in that it is avascular, so there's no blood and lymphatic vessels and it is not innervated. 
Most of the bones in the body are created by the hardening of cartilage into bones, so this is known as endochondral ossification and is responsible for the formation of most of the long bones of the body. Bones may also be formed through intermembranous ossification, which is uh, in which undifferentiated embryonic connective tissue or mesenchymal tissue is transformed into and replaced by bone. And this occurs in bones of the skull. And uh, joints are also made of connective tissue and come in two major varieties. So immovable joints consist of bones that are fused together to form sutures or similar fibrous joints. And these are found in the head where they anchor bones of the skull together. And then there's movable joints, which are structures including hinge joints like the elbow or knee, ball and socket joints like the shoulder or hip, and others. They permit bones to shift relative to one another. They're strengthened by ligaments, which are pieces of fibrous tissue that connect bones to one another. And they consist of a synovial capsule, which encloses the actual joint cavity or articular cavity. A layer of soft tissue called the synovium secretes synovial fluid, which lubricates the movement of structures in the joint space. Joint space. The articular cartilage contributes to the joint by coating the articular surfaces of the bone, so that impact is restricted to the lubricated joint cartilage rather than for the bones. When a muscle is attached to two bones, its contraction will cause one of the bones to move, and the end of the muscle with larger attachment to bone, usually the proximal connection, is called the origin, and the end with a smaller attachment to bone, usually the distal connection, is called the insertion. So often our muscles work in antagonistic pairs, so one relaxes while the other contracts, uh, like in our arm. So when the biceps contract and the triceps relax, the elbow is flexed, and when the tricep contracts and the biceps relax, the elbow is extended. Muscles can also be synergistic, so they work together to accomplish the same function. And muscles may also be classified by the types of movements they coordinate, so a flexor muscle decreases the angle across a joint, like the biceps. An extensor increases or straightens this angle, like the triceps. An abductor moves a part of the body away from the midline, like the deltoid, and an adductor moves a part of the body toward the midline, like the pectoralis major. And medial and lateral rotation describes motions that occur in limbs. A medial, a medial rotator rotates the axis of a limb toward the midline like the subscapularis and a lateral rotator rotates the axis of the limb away from the midline like the infraspinatus. So now time for concept summary. There's main, three main types of muscle, skeletal, smooth, and cardiac. Skeletal is involved in support and movement, propulsion of blood in the venous system, and thermal regulation. It appears striated and is under voluntary or somatic control, is polynucleated, and can be divided into red, slow-twitch fibers that carry out oxidative phosphorylation, and white, fast-twitch fibers that rely on anaerobic metabolism. Smooth muscle is in the respiratory, reproductive, cardiovascular, and digestive systems. It's non-striated, it's under involuntary autonomic control, and is uninucleated. It can display myogenic activity or contraction without neural input. And cardiac muscle is the contractile tissue of the heart. It appears striated, it is under involuntary autonomic control, and it's uninucleated, so sometimes binucleated. It can also display myogenic activity, and cells are connected with intercalated discs that contain gap junctions. The sarcomere is the basic contractile unit of striated muscle. They are made of thick myosin and thin actin filaments. Troponin and tropomyosin are found on the thin filament and regulate actin-myosin interactions. The sarcomere can be divided into different lines, zones, and bands. The boundaries of each sarcomere are defined by Z-lines. The N-line is in the middle of the sarcomere. The I-band is only thin filaments. The H-zone is only thick filaments. And the A-band is the thick filaments in their entirety. It's the only part of the sarcomere that maintains a constant size during contraction. Sarcomeres attach end-to-end -to, -end to become myofibrils, and each myocyte or muscle cell or muscle fibril contains many myofibrils. Myofibrils are surrounded by the sarcoplasmic reticulum, which is a calcium-containing modified ER, and the cell membrane of a myocyte is known as a sarcolemma. A system of T-tubules is connected to the sarcolemma and oriented perpendicularly to the myofibrils, which allows the action potential to reach all parts of the muscle. Muscle contraction begins at the neuromuscular junction, where the motor neuron produces acetylcholine that binds to the receptors on the sarcolemma, causing depolarization. And this depolarization spreads down the sarcolemma to the T-tubules, triggering the release of calcium ions. 
calcium binds to troponin, causing a shift in tropomyosin and exposure of the myosin binding sites on the actin-thin filament. Shortening of the sarcomere occurs as myosin heads bind to the exposed sites on actin, forming cross bridges and pulling the actin filament along the thick filament, which results in contraction, and this is known as the sliding filament model. The muscle relaxes when acetylcholine is, is degraded by the acetylcholinose is degraded by acetylcholinesterase, terminating the signal and allowing calcium to be brought back into the SR. ATP binds to the myosin head, allowing it to release from actin. Uh, and muscle cells exhibit all-or-nothing response called a simple twitch. So addition of multiple simple twitches before the muscle has an opportunity to fully relax is called frequency summation. Simple twitches that occur so frequently as to not let the muscle relax at all can lead to tetanus, which is a more prolonged and stronger contraction. And muscle cells have additional energy reserves to reduce oxygen debt, so the difference between the amount of oxygen needed and the amount present, and forestall fatigue. So creatine phosphate can create can transfer a phosphate group to ADP, forming ATP. And myoglobin is a heme-containing protein that is a muscular oxygen reserve. Internal skeletons are called endoskeletons. External skeletons are called exoskeletons. The human skeletal system can be divided into axial and appendicular, axial being the structures in the midline, like the skull, vertebral, column, ribcage, and hyoid bone. The appendicular consists of bones in the limbs, the pectoral, girdle, and the pelvis. Bone is derived from embryonic mesoderm and includes both compact and spongy, cancellous types. Compact bone provides strength and is dense. Spongy or cancellous bone has a lattice-like structure consisting of bony spicules known as trabeculae, and the cavities are filled with bone marrow. Long bones have shafts called diaphyses that flare to form metaphyses and terminate in epiphyses. The epiphysis contains an epiphyseal growth plate that causes linear growth of the bone. Bone is surrounded by a layer of connective tissue called the periosteum. Bones are attached to muscles by tendons and to each other by ligaments. The bone matrix has both organic components like collagen, glycoproteins, and other peptides, and inorganic components like hydroxyapatite. Bone is organized into concentric rings called lamellae around a central haversion or Volkmann's canal. The structural unit is called an osteon or haversion system. Between lamellar rings are lacunae where osteocytes reside and they are connected with canaliculi to allow for nutrient and waste transfer. Bone remodeling is carried out by osteoblasts and osteoclasts. Osteoblasts build while osteoclasts resorb bone. Parathyroid hormone increases resorption of bone, increasing calcium and phosphate concentrations in the blood. Vitamin D also increases resorption of bone, so it leads to increased turnover and subsequently the production of stronger bone. And then calcitonin increases bone formation, decreasing calcium concentrations in the blood. Cartilage is a firm, elastic material secreted by chondrocytes. Its matrix is called chondrin. It's usually found in areas that require more flexibility or cushioning and is avascular and not innervated. In fetal life, bone forms from cartilage through the endochondral ossification, and some bones, especially those of the skull, form directly from undifferentiated tissue, so mesenchyme, in intramembranous ossification. Joints may be classified as immovable or movable, so immovable are fused together to form sutures or similar fibrous joints, and movable joints are strengthened by ligaments that contain a synovial capsule. Synovial fluid secreted by the synovium aids in motion by lubricating the joint. Each bone in the joint is coated with articular cartilage to aid in movement and provide cushioning, and muscles that serve opposite functions come in antagonistic pairs when one muscle contracts, the other lengthens. Okay, the last chapter is going to be genetics and evolution, and I'm going to cry because it's so long, but I'll see you in that one. Peace.